Hi and welcome to Leitrim Daily. My name is Brefni Early. It is Kiss My Arts today and I am with one of Leitrim's adopted budding writers. It seems to be something that happens quite regularly in this county. People move here from outside of the county, outside of the country even, and they end up deciding to take pen to paper to tell people all about life in our beautiful part of the world. And today's guest is no different. Faye Hayden, welcome to the show. Thank you. Faye, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, you're obviously not, as people will hear from your accent very yes. quickly, you're not from this part of the world, but you have settled and and become part of the furniture here at Casualty. I have very much. I um, I moved here in 2002. Um, I was working for MBNA over in Chester at the time and um, I was born and grew up in North Wales and I came over here um, as a manager on a two-year contract. But I am um, part of the big cliche. I met my husband uh, who was also working for MBNA. He had moved down from Dublin and um, the rest is history. We now have three children and a collection of chaotic animals and uh, my parents also moved over to be with us four years ago as well so it's a bit of a family affair. So, so even though you no longer work at MBNA or mm-hmm. Avancard as it is today, um, you're still in the area. Yes, yeah, what, absolutely. What made you stay when the work well, my dried husband up? still works there. My husband works in avant-garde, but I really would be loathed to leave Leitrim, to be honest. I, my um, chief bridesmaid, who is my best friend from college, um, did a speech um, at our wedding. And she said that, you know, in, in a very um, loving way, that Ireland, you can keep her because this is where she's home. And it's very, very true. I became an Irish citizen back in 2012. Um, my youngest daughter is called Erin because we first saw her on the scan the day I became an Irish citizen and I just I call it home I just felt like a fish from the day that I moved here and we would go to Dublin quite a lot it's where my husband's from but I just I couldn't live in Dublin I, I you know it's, it's a great city don't get me wrong but Leitrim's just lovely as the song would say I'm interested in why you would want to become an Irish citizen because I suppose as a native of Wales or the UK you would have had an EU passport so why why go through that process of becoming an Irish citizen did it really mean that much to you oh yeah absolutely really really did and I, I tried I'd planned on becoming an Irish citizen back in 2007 um, my daughter she was born at the end of 2006 and I had all the forms filled in but I just never remember or never had the time to go to the commissioner for oath and get them signed and they lay in a drawer as, as you know many people will tell you that things get piled on top of them and it got forgotten about and then it came around that no I really wanted to do it and I felt so connected in Ireland and felt such a part of it and you know people always say to me well who do you support in the rugby when Wales are playing Ireland and it's always Ireland I've never felt a greater connection to anywhere that I've been and you know I've done a fair bit of traveling so I I just it feels like home and I wanted to make it a bit more official my passport my UK passport was about to run out my husband was delighted to get the British passport out of the house and an extra Irish one in so everybody was happy fair enough there's a few homes that I realized that was a a very big uh, issue in the county in terms of your professional career you spent a couple of years with MBNA yes. and then where did you go from there I took a career break then because my um, youngest daughter was uh, just nearly a year old um, and I was starting to see some challenges in my son who's our middle child so I just wanted to um, spend some time really more at home with the family but I got itchy feet very quickly I don't like you know, just feeling like I have not so much to do so I started volunteering with Freuger um, I've been doing 
bits and pieces with them for years, but I did more volunteering and got more involved in what they were doing. And then I ended up working with them for um, for a year. And then at the end of that, I moved on and I worked for a social justice charity up in Sligo called Sligo Social Services. So they would work with local homeless people, um, resettled refugees. Um, they offer childcare and maybe the, the lower income households, after school care, various different things like that. So yeah, I did that for three years, which I absolutely loved. But then I... Um, Gave up work um, at the beginning of this year because my son has autism and ADHD and I found that there was a lot of appointments, there was a lot going on. He wasn't settling at school, so was doing shorter days and I just needed to be at home more. So, so in terms of your professional career, that went on the back burner at the start of the year, as you said, but you didn't stay idle for long. Like you said, itchy no. feet. <laughs> this time it was itchy fingers and I just kind of thought, right, I'm going to do a bit of writing. I, I have a very um, energetic German shepherd who I would, you know, walk every day and I would be thinking and planning and, and fig- trying to figure things out in my head. And, you know, I'm not going to lie, being a parent to a child with the kind of needs that my son has can be very, very challenging. And I was feeling very low. My mental health was struggling. And I thought, right, I'm going to take some of these thoughts out of my head and I'm going to put them on paper and I'm going to try and figure them out. I'm going to try and try and organize them. And I found that very therapeutic. Um, Bush, I then saw the um, the 10 year challenge on Facebook where you had to post your photograph from 2009 and your photograph from 2019. That can be quite daunting. It was, yes, it really can. And for some people, it's great. You know, a lot of my friends and, and people that I you know, used to know back in the UK are aging very, very well. I'm not. Um, so the photo was, I suppose, a bit of a wake up call. I knew I'd been gaining weight, but I look back at my 2009 photo where I was maybe virgin on a, a yummy mummy kind of look. Um, with two small children and you know it's still at a focus on that whereas now so much energy goes into being a good mummy there's no time really for anything else and in the last few years particularly I've guess since turning 40 really I've um, gained four stone and I have more cups in my bra than an ICA coffee morning so I decided right what's actually gone on that's that's made this huge difference in that 10 years and the what I was writing started to take on more of a structure of my 10-year challenge and the things that had gone on in that 10 years. And I don't want it to be all doom and gloom. It certainly hasn't been all doom and gloom. But I think the most difficult part has been my son's diagnosis, but also the many years in the lead up to that and the challenges that come with that. But then also that, you know, so well, the families have, have faced into, there's, there's been miscarriage, there's been, you know, difficult times. I've lost friends. A lot of my good friends have, you know, been sick. A variety of different things that I think affect us as we start to get that little bit older and those real grown-up things in life. And then there's just the everyday things. You know, I had a crisis really over celeriac, the root vegetable, because I'm doing a low-carb diet and I suddenly went into panic about how many carbs are actually in it and then of many animals that drive me a little bit crazy or sorting socks on a Sunday filling in forms there are those normal everyday things and what I was doing with my writing was whilst I was trying to find some some ideas on, on how I was feeling the way I was or how to improve the way I was feeling I was actually starting to try and see the funny side of things and it made me realize that we all have to try and do that a little bit because a lot of the time with life if you don't laugh you will cry and there are some days then that you might not stop so the book kind of took a bit of a humorous twist and it's continued in that vein. And that of course brings us to your first book. Yes. Bedtime <laughs> Stories for Mothers and Others. Yes. Now I mistakenly thought this was a children's book. No, it is not. But it's not. It's very much bedtime stories for adults. Yes. But not in that. Not in in a Fifty Shades of Grey kind of way. No, sadly not. My life is not that exciting. (laughs) 
tell us a bit about the book and I suppose what it's about and who it's for really. Yeah, the book is split into um, five sections and it's introducing um, myself, my family, um, or my family and other animals because I do have a, a menagerie of other animals. Um, and then it does talk about the more serious things that have, that have gone on in our life in the last 10 years, um, particularly around um, Patrick's autism diagnosis, our struggle to get support for that, because as many people will know in rural Ireland, supports via the health service and via education are, are sadly lacking. And then just, just looking at that side of things, but then looking, taking a, a look at the, the lighter side of things. So that sock monster, that celeriac crisis, um, a variety of different things that I think will just resonate with people. We've all had that morning where we're rushing to a meeting and the car won't start or the sat nav goes crazy and drives us in the wrong direction. Those things that have the potential to push us over the edge because that the, the thing that broke the straw that broke the camel's back, even though they might seem like just a small thing at the time, there might be other things going on for you. But it's it's taking a fun look at that. Then around body image, like I say, I've gained a lot of weight. I have a sat of luggage under my eyes. My hair just won't do as it's told. So we took a little bit of a look at that. And um, then the final piece is um, the final section is, is called buying a good bra, um, which is really about your support system. So it's about my friends, my family, the people in my life that have got me through the last 10 years that we've all helped each other out because we've all needed to and how important that support is. Um, and that's really what it's all about. So it's aimed with the title, you'd think it, it's just for, for mums. It isn't. My tagline with it is there are no boobies or babies required. Um, a lot of my friends that don't have children have read it um, and have said it's really good and enjoyed it and they can connect with it. Um, Gentlemen, you're welcome to read it. I don't know that it will resonate quite as much, um, but I'm an equal opportunities writer and I want everybody to have the opportunity to read it. And particularly maybe part two, if there are any special needs um, parents out there, any special needs dads, granddads. My dad reads it. My dad thinks it's quite funny. Um, even though he's in it sometimes, he doesn't like those bits quite so much. Um, but, but yeah, there's an opportunity for anyone and everyone to read have it. Have you really. fallen out with anybody? No, not yet. But my husband hasn't read all of it. There is an interesting chapter in there called erectile dysfunction um so his eyebrows <laughs> did raise a little bit when i mentioned that chapter but it's not quite as it seems you'll have to read it that's about your boyfriend not your husband absolutely yeah that's my yeah. other husband <laughs> <laughs> they might not be happy with that either no um, no <laughs> in terms of the actual book how do you envisage that someone will actually read this because as you said it's a collection of short stories it's yes. a collection of bedtime stories as you say is it a thing that you pick it up maybe i don't know on the toilet or sitting down for a cup of coffee or in bed at night then you just read one before you go to sleep put yourself to sleep it's not going to put you well, to sleep though is I it? dropped my new phone um, down the toilet a few weeks ago so I would highly recommend reading my book rather than your phone on the toilet um, but anyway you want to read it it's you know it is short tales none of the chapters should take you any more than 10 minutes to read the time of an average bedtime story that you might be reading to a child really um, and you can read it anywhere and everywhere my two test readers both read it in one sitting they said they couldn't put it down which is fantastic feedback that I think every writer wants to get um, but you can just dip in and out of it. I would recommend reading part one and part two before reading anything else. And then that, because they do follow maybe, I suppose, more of a more of a timeline. Um, but then beyond that, you can just dip in and out of it wherever you want to. Fantastic. You are a self-published author, as a number yes. of our guests over the, the series has, has been. Tell us a bit about your experience of that process, because I think there might be somebody sitting at home who used to write as a teenager, 
hasn't picked up a pen or sat down on a Microsoft Word document to write a book or even thought about it, but would love the idea of it and just hasn't done it. How has the writing process worked for you? I suppose at the very beginning, I was just brain dumping my feelings and brain dumping the way that I was, you know, everything that was going on in my life at that time. And then I put a little bit of structure around it and turned it into what I viewed more as a book that did have that little bit more structure. Then I actually turned it into a blog, which is also the same title. You can follow it on Facebook or on Twitter, which is Bedtime Stories for Mothers and Others. And um, that links into my website, which is fayhayden.life. And I've been writing the pieces, trialing out the pieces on the blog. And there's a couple of other bits on there as well. Um, Bush... I then, the edit, I think is the hardest part is you've written all of this stuff and you've actually then got to decide, well, is actually all of this stuff something everybody wants to read? And some of it isn't that great. So you have to be very, very honest with yourself and just pull it apart and decide, you know, is somebody going to stick with this if it is 500 pages? Is somebody going to carry this around in their handbag if it's 500 pages? Probably not. So you need to, you know, very much be able to condense it and to pick up the best of it and to really cut back on all the ands, ifs and buts that are in there. Um, and then the, I've been working with a lady called Coach Karen Brown, who to help me set up my website and she has self-published a lot of journals she would do a lot of life coaching and, and the journals so she's been working with me on, on self-publishing which was very straightforward um very I suppose cost effective in the sense that you're not spending an absolute fortune and it might not work out you know I'm very realistic about this I might sell 10 copies to my mum and that'll be it but so you, you don't want to be putting yourself in, in a real position where you know you might financially break yourself which obviously isn't something any of us want to do um so I've gone through the process with Karen and I got in touch then with a few um, local booksellers. I'm just in negotiation with one in Sligo at the moment, but the book will be being carried in the reading room in Carrick. Um, it'll also be available then on Amazon and through my website. Um, so it, it just felt like the right way for me to go. I'm a bit of a kind of all or nothing kind of person. And this has been drifting along through the year. I'm putting a bit of a back burner as we've been sorting things out for my family. Um, and then I read on Facebook um, back in October that there were only eight weeks left to go of the decade. And what are we going to do to make a difference? And so I thought, right, well, yeah, that's it. I'm going to print my book and we'll see. My hope is that it will raise awareness of life with autism but I don't want to preach to people you know I do enough of that down the pole ball on on Facebook and, and that kind of thing or to my friends they, they've all kind of an off switch for me now um so I don't want to do that but I want to raise awareness so that just to make people stop and think a little bit and understand what does go on for an autistic person and for their families you know because my son's autism doesn't just affect him it affects my two other children it affects us it affects his grandparents it affects everybody um so it's just to raise a little bit of awareness about that and to make people stop and think about what small differences they can make to improve life for autistic people but also for other parents and for other people to look at it and think god yeah do you know what life is actually quite hard sometimes it's not the fairy tale that it is on tv or that it is on social media or that it is than we imagined when we were growing up but we can actually get through it and let's try and have a little bit of a laugh about it some things aren't funny but you can usually find the funny side of most things and that's what's helped me to maintain my sanity the last couple of years i think that's fantastic in terms of the mechanics of the actual self-publishing process so, yes so when you had this idea you want to write a book where did you go from from there like 
to be honest, I was very, very lucky that I had um, Coach Karen Brown working with me because she's helped me an awful lot through that. And we use the self-publishing tool on Amazon. So, you, you know, you, you have to then focus on things like your book cover to make sure that you're using a cover that isn't copyrighted. There are things then... Um, but there is um, a, like a 12 step guide on Amazon with pictures for those of you that are kind of the more visual learners that will just talk you through it and teach you how to do it. So it is very straightforward. I would then recommend trying to get some media attention in it, starting off obviously with, with your local media and your local newspaper, even local podcast, local podcast. Absolutely. Um, everything that I have done, I suppose, has been including friends to start off with. So getting friends to share your blog posts and, and just slowly building and building and building. And it, it is very much like that. You know, there's a lot of very good um, local coaches or local kind of business instructors. And I went to the um, Women in Enterprise Day that was run by the local enterprise office there back in October. And I found that really good and you know, really motivational. And, and you just make contacts. I made contacts there with a couple of other bloggers and they, there's a lady Val Robush, she's the Magnum lady up in Sligo, and yeah, she's Sligo giving me loads of tips, yeah. uh, tips, and, and loads of ideas. And it really is just that bouncing ideas off like each other and, and talking to other people. And it, it is that networking. When I finished my role in MBA, I did a, a course on how to, you know, obtain a, a new job or a new career. And they said that in rural communities, seventy percent of new opportunities will come through networking. So it is just that making connections. And I love people. I love chatting. I love talking to people finding out their stories so I suppose that lent itself to being able to make new connections and, and meet new people and, and do it that way absolutely that's our experience here like we have a number of staff here and we didn't advertise for a single one of them we just happened to know somebody with a certain skill set yeah. and, and approach them and absolutely. and, 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 and it's a perfect fit then and you, you know you kind of you know what you're getting into it's like a good it's like a good child minder you want to know that they've got the right skills for your child how has that been actually because obviously with a, a son with different needs than the other kids how has it been in terms of childminding babysitters has that been a challenge um it's been a mixed bag i suppose patrick did go to to mainstream crash when he was younger he wasn't actually diagnosed until he was nine although from the age of about 18 months to two i, I just knew that there was something couldn't have told you what i really didn't think it was autism at the time and um, but I, I i did know something was was just different um, and he went to local crashes. He was fine. Um, I always smile when I think when he was in Montessori um, up in Anajuf in the after he would be there in the afternoons when I was at work. So when he worked part time, but I worked three full days um, and in the afternoons he would go and spend his time in the baby room and he would sing to the babies and he would play with the babies. And that's really cute. But with hindsight, I now know that he was struggling to socially connect even at the age of four at the other four year olds in his room. And it's very common for a person with autism to um, gravitate towards younger children or more towards adults because they're able to connect more on, a, on that kind of level. Um, so I suppose that was a sign back then. Um, I have an absolutely amazing um, carer for Patrick that helps us out because sometimes we do just need that little bit of respite, um, even if it's just for a few hours in the afternoon that I can sit with Erin and do her homework or sit and chat to see if she about her day when because she's just started secondary school. So we're just making sure that transition works out well. Um, and her oldest child um, has autism too. He's, he's an adult now and living over in the UK. That's the carer, it's not that's your daughter's. The no, sorry, yes, yes. That's, my, that's the carer. <laughs> Um, but she's fantastic and she just totally 
gets Patrick. She was the only other person when Patrick was small because she used to mind him a little bit when he was small as well. She was the only other person that saw something was different. Um, and, you know, this is the one thing I really didn't want to be right about, but we were right. And, you know, there's, there's recent studies now have been shown that, um, it was a psychologist actually telling me this recently, that um, teams of doctors now are starting to listen more to parents because in 85% of cases, if a parent, particularly a mother, has an inkling that there's something different going on with their child, they are actually right. Um, which is it's huge fortunately or unfortunately fortunately or unfortunately do you know people often I've written about this in the book and people think it's strange when you are almost happy when you receive your diagnosis it's not that you particularly want your child to face challenges but you often get to the point where I mean we've been going through the system for over four years when Patrick got his diagnosis and you're absolutely tearing your hair out I've been back to college to do special educational needs training I've done occupational therapy training we've done dietitians we did essential oils we did alternative therapies we I've done four parenting courses you know you do all of these things and you become obsessed and nothing really is changing anything and you kind of get to the point where at least when you have your diagnosis and I don't consider it a label because labels are for tins of beans they're not for people it's a diagnosis and that diagnosis is there to support Patrick's care so that we can truly understand what's going on for him um, and work with him and work with professionals to get the support that he needs so in a lot of ways it's actually a relief and for me and I think for a lot of parents particularly mums that I've spoken to you spend so long convinced that you're just a really bad parent even though you're trying your best to do everything so when you get that um, that diagnosis, it actually validates you a little bit to say, well, yeah, there was actually something going on. It wasn't just me. I wasn't being overprotective. I'm not a helicopter parent. I was, But I just knew that there was something that my child needed something different. So and Patrick also, along with Aaron, his younger sister, they go to the Hunt School in um in Mohill, um, which is a smaller school and it's just an absolutely amazing school and we are completely blessed. His, his SNA Roisin is just, she's out of this world, she's fantastic. So, and, and he just connects with her so well and she's another person that just gets him. She just know how he works, she spots his triggers straight away. So we're very lucky in that regard. And then as well, my parents moved over here four years ago to, to support us and I, I really do not know how we could have got through the last four years without them be honest so you know they, they will take Patrick when he's at his most challenging because they know that we just can't do it anymore in that moment in time or that the girls need a break or so that's just been invaluable to have them here so in terms of the experiences you've gained over the last 10 or 11 years with Patrick or probably more specifically the last couple of years since his diagnosis they're in this book for other people yes. to maybe learn yeah the tricks or the tr or they just the fact that it's not your fault sometimes yeah, absolutely that it's not your fault and to remind yourself of that sometimes but also to remember that it's not the child's fault either i mean patrick has um when you have autism <clears throat> the, the the new piece now is that you have a profile within that autism I always thought profiles for Tinder, for Tinder and he's a bit young for that yet, yeah, but um, no, seemingly you have profiles in autism as well. And Patrick has two distinct profiles, um, which are a pathological demand avoidance profile and an oppositional defiance disorder profile. And what that basically means is his anxiety is so severe that he tries to avoid doing the normal everyday tasks that people would do. And that isn't just necessarily school or going to the supermarket. That could be something as simple as putting your socks, socks on. Yeah. And that's not that the socks irritate his feet. It's just that he he finds it so difficult to do that because 
putting his socks on means he has to put his shoes on and that means we have to leave the house and we have to go to school. So, and and the oppositional defiance disorder then would be, a lot of people call it BOLD, um, thinking that it is just a bold child, but it isn't. It's a child that has an actual need within their brain to to gain your attention in, in any way possible. So they will do the absolute opposite of what you need them to do, sometimes in a dangerous or what would seem to be a naughty way, but they need the chemical release of your that comes when they get your reaction. And so that that's, you really have to recondition yourself really, I suppose, in the way that you parent. And it is difficult when your child is really acting out and being extremely difficult. Patrick swears a lot and he's very verbally abusive. And that can be really hard to try and remember this isn't actually his fault and just not want to scream back at him and be angry. And because I am angry, you know, I think a lot of parents that are in this position are angry that this is what we're dealing with. And for so long, we've had to deal with it alone. There are very, very limited services out there. We're actually um, have an independent external intervention at the moment supporting our family. And we're one of the first families in Ireland to get that. And that did not come easily. You know, we had to fight for that. I have sat in HSE buildings three times this year with my sleeping bag and my best pyjamas, refusing to leave until I got the support that we needed. And that that's hard going. You know, it, it knocks your self-esteem yourself. You know, I think my dignity is kind of down the toilet at this stage because you, you just have to fight and push and all the time thinking... If I shout the loudest, that's great. I get the support from my son, but I also know there's somebody beside me shouting that needs that support as well. And am I taking it away from them? So, you know, there's a lot that goes with it. And unfortunately, I do sometimes say that, that rural Ireland feels like District 12 in the Hunger Games, that, you know, the, the services just, you have to fight for your life and the services just don't exist and the odds are never in our favour. And that's just the way it is, unfortunately, I'm finding. And it's, you know, that doesn't in any way take away from the fact that I love living in Leitrim, but there are a lot of deficits in the service in, in Leitrim, Sligo, Rothcommon, you know, all of the, the surrounding areas. So it, it, it's been a tough few years. Tell me a little bit before we finish up uh, and we just recap the book again, just tell me a little bit about Team Hope. And also you want to talk about uh, muscular dystrophy. Yes, it's um, Duquesne muscular dystrophy. It's um, a couple of things that I wanted to get involved in, I suppose. The Team Hope, when I read the, the Facebook philosophy about the eight weeks left to the end of the decade and make a difference. So I decided, right, I want to do something for myself, which was the book. Um, and I wanted to do something for other people. So um, I'm involved now in Team Hope. We've collected over a thousand shoeboxes um, to go. The, the particular ones from um, from Leitrim are going to the poorer areas of Eastern Europe. Um, so myself and a gentleman called um, David. David McKenna have been going around and my dad as well I have to give a shout out to him because um, he's just been dragged along every time my car is full and he's made several trips over to the sorting office in Manor Hamilton um, so that's been fantastic and it's been such a lovely opportunity to go around to all of the schools and have loads of you know the children coming out and helping me load up the car and telling me about all the wonderful things they've put in their boxes I've dealt with ICA groups I've dealt with active age um, groups as well that people have been knitting I went out to a lovely lady in Ochnashilin who'd knitted this gorgeous little jumper and you know the time and effort that people have put in and the, the compassion that people have and I think Team Hope is absolutely the right name for it because it does make you very hopeful about you know all the negative things you see in the world there is still 
instilled that that care and compassion out there. Um, and then the second piece is um, there are three boys over in Roscommon, Archie, George and Isaac, who have um, a condition called Duchenne muscular dystrophy. Um, and they, their mum, Paula and their dad, Porig, run um, Join Our Boys, which is a trust um, that they run to try and raise awareness of the condition and also to fundraise towards a cure and to support these three boys as, as things change for them in the future. Um, now, I read their story many years ago and for anybody, particularly a parent of these three brothers, it's a horror story. And unfortunately, it isn't fiction um, and they probably won't have a happy ending. And in reading their story, I very much felt I really want to do something to help this family. Like everybody else, I've sent my money in when they've done their fundraising days, but I just felt I needed to do something else. So I got in touch with their mum, Paula, who was fantastic. I was chatting to her before I came in this morning. We're very alike. We're both um, quite vocal and want to do everything we can to make some changes. But um, Paula and I have decided that we're going to work on a book, maybe two next year. Um, We're going to work with her children and just work with, with other people maybe in the area with disabilities. And we want to look at it to tell people's stories but not just focusing on their disabilities. I made a, um, a DVD a few years ago with my Autism Youth Club about um, raising awareness of people with autism in the local community, but not talking about their autism, just talking about them. Like One of the guys in my club is a silver medal um, holder in the World Championships for Karate, you know, various different things like that. Um, so we're going to work on those books. And again, they will be self-published, but all the profits from them will go to the Join Our Boys Trust. And you can um, donate to them or find out more about them on joinourboys.org and so that's the that's my plans for for next year fantastic it's a it's a very debilitating disease and it It affects the whole family i know we've had councillor brendan barry from drumshambo talking to us about he his son is is also a a sufferer from that that um condition um Faye, thank you so much for coming in to me and having a chat with me. Your book, of course, is Bedtime Stories from Mothers and Others. Yes. It's available online from next week. From next week, yeah. If and we, Sorry, if people want to like the, the blog on the, or the Facebook page, then the links and everything to buy it next week. But I would really appreciate it as well if people got the chance to shop local and to go into the reading room because I'm a huge fan of the reading room and I would love to see it being sold through there. Perfectly, that's Orla in the reading room. Orla She'll reading know exactly room, yeah. what they're talking about she when she walks in. She, she's excellent. I've been pestering her for weeks. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, Faye, thank you very much for joining us. Your book, you. Bedtime Stories for Mothers and Others, available online um, from next week yes. and in the reading room in Carrick and Shannon from the first week of December. That's it. So, it'll be officially launched in January, but I thought I was being a bit cheeky and I thought it'd be a great stocking filler, so I'll get it out in December. Christmas is always a good Absolutely. time to, to make a few book sales. <laughs> Thank you very much for dropping into me. Thank and the very you so best much. of luck with the book. Thank you. This, of course, is episode 135 of the podcast, which, of course, you can catch on our website, leadfromdaily.com, but also on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and now on YouTube since episode 100. We've been posting our uh, episodes up there as well. Uh, I'll be back tomorrow with a roundup of the sports action of the weekend. And thanks once again to Faye for coming in. It's been a pleasure to have you. Thank you. And we will be back tomorrow. Talk to you then.